0: Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favorite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report.
1: Welcome to the Market Report, What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 24th of February 2020. What should we talk about? Coronavirus well no, yes that 's not having an effect immediately on prices anymore. Everyone thinks we 're going to recover i don 't know it, that that is still looming in the background let 's see how that one evolves we 've all had a bug at the doing grain office this week, and uh, I must admit it 's not very nice, and we 've been down to very few people in the office so let 's start with feed barley spot value one hundred and twenty five may value one hundred and twenty seven x farm same conversations the last six weeks if you just picked up for the first time. I don't see any point in in messing around with it, sell it, get out your hair, there's a big barley crop coming next year, what are you waiting for? Uh, If you're selling new crop feed barley, I will bid you 130 X farm for November, which in historical terms is a good bid. But if you compare it to feed wheat, which is trading at about £156 a tonne, X farm for the same month, you're a £26 discount, which... It's probably a bit of a disappointment. But, hey, 130, X farm November, feed barley. Let's look at feed wheat. Old crop feed wheat, March movement, £148 a tonne. Markets holding up nicely in the February and March period. Uh, There doesn't seem to be many farmers selling it. Lots of people still need to supply their last few bits of it. We believe the market will break when it gets to May because there's a liquidity coming forward from all of the tons that have been traded for that month. And up until then, up until the dam breaks, uh, the market's going to stay in this 148 to 150 mark X farm, which is great, really good price. Are you expecting it to go to 160 or 170? That's only going to happen if there is a new crop disaster because the math says there is enough wheat from last year for it not to go up so we're running on about that one again week after week if you look at new crop totally dependent on what happens next with the weather the UK had some figures come out this week from the AHDB that said there's uh, 1.5 million hectares of wheat and there's lots of people whinging and whining about how inaccurate that is all I will say is the AHDB in the end don't tend to be that far wrong. So if they're saying there's an 11 plus million ton crop, people on Twitter coming out with um, various comments about how stupid AHDB are, we hopefully can judge them in, in 18 months time and say, well, actually, that wasn't such a bad guess. Anyway, it looks great in this part of the world in, in a kind of wet, soggy field type way. There's been mild weather. Things are greening up we've got good crop cover largely and yes i know there's big areas of fields that are wet and drowned and all the rest of it but i'm afraid east anglia is going to have an okay cereal crop if the weather treats us kind from now onwards the biggest hope you have is for a problem with somewhere else in the world you know our price is based upon imports we're not going to produce enough wheat compared to what we consume, and therefore we will be relying on importing something else, probably corn. And at the moment, corn is, in round figures, about 170-odd delivered for November, so that's your ceiling or your saucepan lid or whatever you want to call it. If there is a problem with the planting of that crop, or if there is a problem with weather, which is an ongoing thing every single day around the world, then the price will go up. If there isn't, and everything starts to go well, and everyone starts to feel confident about the size of the crop, then down she comes. So at this point in time, there isn't much downside, there isn't much upside. It's kind of stuck. It is all about the weather in a far-off land. Aussie rape. I'm just going to say the prices: three twenty old crop, three ten new crop. We don't see any particular hurry in doing anything on that. So with that fairly same as the last few weeks market report, have a fabulous week's trading and I hope the sun shines for you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
0: Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste And they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: This morning I have got with me uh, David Jones from the Morley Agricultural Foundation. Morning, Andrew. Morning, David, and I have the very intelligent Ben with me. Morning. He didn't deny that. You notice, anyway, David. You know, you're you're the man who is uh, managing the farm on a piece of land that everybody comes and studies and looks at, which must be
2: a dream job. Well, it is. There's lots of good things about it, but we do have lots of people that come and visit and look and comment, and I take no notice and get on with. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, get, get on with what I've got to do. Yeah,
1: it's the Norfolk Foundation. It's a farm that has been 1908. Um, is that when they? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so, which means that there's been people traipsing around looking at the Morley Foundation Farm, which is there to study and develop agricultural practices and evolve for public good.
2: Exactly. Our charitable remit is agricultural research and education. And so every year we uh, give money to organisations to do research. Yeah. And also the education part of it is quite widespread so there's lots of bits to that because if you're doing research, it's important whatever you've discovered, found, learned, that you share that with the industry, with the public. So that might be a publication, it might be an open day, a conference. So we're supporting that part of our education. The other thing is we're funding PhD students, normal degree students, at Eastern College. Yes, I mean, we'll, we'll get on to because there's an awfully large amount of money that Morley yeah. hand out every single year.
1: I've got to start with, if I was doing your job, every single year you have several open days. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And you have the great and the good of the county, really good farmers coming onto your farm, and has there ever been you know, the year where you've had everything go right and it's a perfect crop and one of those clever buggers goes, Hm, Mr. Beer Well, there's always that and and there's the farmer in
2: us that's always looking over the hedges, isn't there?
1: Well I mean, the other, the, the flip side is the disaster. You know, you, something went wrong. The weather just hit just after you planted it or something. And everybody traipses past. Or do you do you avoid that bit with the trailer and drive them a long way around? Well, to miss it?
2: it's in my gift to plan the route and plan what people <laughs> see. <laughs>
1: I I always remember um, going on a farm drive around with, um, it was actually Jamie Lockett, I'll name a name there, and uh, it was a hideous autumn, there were some terrible developed crops, and he took us down the long, highest hedges route you could imagine, we (laughs) didn't actually see any fields, (laughs) but your, your job particularly is pressure point, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. But, it, but you just get used to it and you've got to just, it is what it is. But if it rains heavy with us and it's wet and it's muddy, well, it's going to be the same everywhere else. So generally people are understanding, aren't they? Yeah, they're understanding, but they're,
1: let's call it the untamed wit of the Norfolk farmer. <laughs> it's the opportunity to say something wise is just too great, isn't it? And you yeah, have to. Well, that's all right. I've got thick skin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, anyway, so, so your, your job at Morley specifically is what? So uh, my primary role is farm manager, manage the farm, but also I'm the, the person who's there that's employed and live there, so I get involved with a lot of the charitable things as well. Yeah, so my job has grown, so when I first started 12 years ago, it was to look after the farm, but it sort of expanded into the research projects as well, which makes it really exciting because I get to meet lots of different people mm-hmm. and talk about lots of different things, from researchers to people at the UEA, to school children, to other farmers, so it just makes it a very diverse, interesting job.
1: Yeah, I mean, and some of your research is, um, I mean, for example, the Soil Health Project. Grants from Morley, we'll come on to this now, either to individuals or to various projects of of study, amounted to sort of over £400,000. That's an awfully large amount of money to be
2: handing out on an annual basis. It is a lot of money, and and some of them are £2,000 at a time, so there's a lot of different people to talk to. But you'd be surprised how difficult it is to to give away £400,000. And well, uh, we can help. <laughs> <laughs> we can help with that. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, you've got to put in a detailed application, we've got to approve it, it's got to be worthwhile for the benefit of East Anglian farmers and in the industry.
3: With these research grants and the money you're handing out, I mean, these applications can come from anywhere?
2: I mean, industry, university, or are you quite selective? It can come from anywhere. The underlying thing is it's got to be for the benefit of agriculture in East Anglia. And
3: the remit, I mean, on on some of the research you're doing, it's purely
2: what, on the sort of the soils and the plants? Or do you do machinery? Are you... Typically the soil and the plants and sort of farm practices and farming systems, but a little bit with machinery. Um, We've got some projects coming up this year. Um, We're looking at hoeing sugar beet and maize, so we're working with a lempkin, hopefully, Uh, and we're going to do some mechanical weeding. So it it, it encompasses everything. So organisations that we will accept for grants. So we want an organisation that's proven that they can do the work well and got a method of communicating the results. So they say, right, we're going to have an open day, we're going to have publications and so on. And also try and fill in gaps where people, organisations, wouldn't get money for a specific project. But with our money, it can help things happen. So hopefully yeah, yeah, we can fill in the gaps.
1: Yeah, you see, because some of the the issue in the near future is, is you know, the marketing of the product is, is a, a critical issue, isn't it, for agriculture? As much as learning new tricks about how to grow it or, or new ways of dealing with it, if there was a, an idea, an innovation to perhaps... Improve marketing for farmers. I mean, that must be as big bigger issue as anything. There's, I, I, there's not much in marketing sense on on what you've dished out in the last year or two, by the look of it.
2: Personally, I don't think there's a reason why we can't do that, but it's got to get past the trustees. yes yeah. it's not up to me. It's up to the trustees as a whole. Yeah. to think whether your application is is worthy or not. So, if you think you're clever enough, have a go.
1: <laughs> Let's moving moving on from that obvious uh, <laughs> <You coughs> <clever enough>. observation. <laughs> Tractor hoeing. My memories of driving and getting bored out of my head about two miles an hour with my dad on the back. And that's
2: exactly the point why we want to do something. So just that, slow, dusty, in a little old tractor, with perhaps with no cab on and the sun beating on you or the cold yeah. wind. had uh, hair then, it was okay. Yeah, it was <laughs> <laughs> okay. sunburnt was, head. But, but the thing is, what's happened is the new hose that are available now, camera-guided, Yeah. so you don't have to steer very accurately. It steers itself, so then you can do faster forward speeds so you get across the ground quicker. Yeah. It's more accurate, and by a small, modern tractor, it's comfortable. You can have the temperature you want, you can sit and listen to the radio, so you can just cruise up and down the fields quite quickly, cover the ground and hoe the crops.
1: I guess this is, this is um, you know,
2: eye laser or whatever, you and it detects whether you've blocked the gap or whatever and well it's basically a camera and it looks at the row of sugar beet and yeah. it knows it's a row of sugar beet and it just follows it so you can get it very accurate
1: and if you get a big stone between the, the you know the two hoses, well the, the th-
2: thing jumps about and you have to look around and you have to deal with it but so there's someone yeah there is a job still there. for the man to be there very yeah. much so you still have to be there and observe it and learn how to make it work hmm. but the other thing is it's a response to losing some of the herbicides and also more difficult control difficult to control weeds so like blackgrass, grass rye grass. If you think where are we going to go in the next ten years, if we lose more herbicides, we need a way of controlling weeds in our crops. So let's not wait till we've got a mega problem. Let's try and learn ways of doing it before the problem occurs. That's a good point actually. Your point there about the loss of herbicides,
3: the loss of other chemicals. I mean, you know, we it's a dreadful term, but you hear it a lot. Snake oils, isn't it? It's these there's there's snake oil products out there that might improve soil health help the crops grow away from the weeds, stronger root development. I mean, I'm guessing you're looking at all
2: of that, are you? Or someone is? Yeah, someone is. Yeah, well, it, with little success, to be fair. <laughs> okay. And you got to remember, so it's interesting. So I'm working on a farm where there's trials going on all the time for lots of different organisations. So as a farmer, I observe what they do. And one of the things they do, they always come into a field and they pick the best bit in the middle of a field. Right, we're going to do our trial here. And quite right, because... They want good soil, consistent soil across their area to get good results. So there's a scientific reason why they do that. But I grow crops on the whole field. So I grow headlands, corners, bad fields, variable fields. And so I wonder sometimes these products in their trial, they don't show a difference. But where you've got more challenging soils, more compacted soils, soils in the shade, maybe they are making a difference. Very difficult to do research in a variable environment on headlands or... In shaded areas
3: oh that, yeah that, well that's good to hear so I, you,
2: yeah. Th- yeah i think there's some value in some of these products but sometimes it's very difficult to prove in the middle of a field in a trial
1: so what projects have, have you got on the go i mean I, I i mentioned i think a short while ago the soil health one yeah which so is your biggest
2: receiver uh, that what's that all about so we started the morley sam's project soil and agronomic monitoring sites yeah we're working with Nib on this and what we did, we took the yield maps from the farm for 10 years. We identified areas that were always good and areas that were always bad and areas that were always variable within the fields. What we're doing is looking at a patch of the field. So we, now with GPS, we can locate this sort of square. It's about 400 square metres. And then we're intensively monitoring that square for the next 25 years or long term. So measuring the soil, and, but also measuring crop growth and development. And alongside that, we've got all what we do. Input-wise, so it's just a commercial field that I grow, um, but the plots in the field somewhere hidden away, and obviously we've got weather data, and we've got the water that comes out the drains, and all that. So we got, so we're going to collect massive amount of data, and then hopefully we can identify why the good bits are always good and why the bad bits are always bad, and what the difference is.
1: There's a line of logic on, on just travelling on the same channel lines year after year. Is that is that
2: is that part of that? Not really. We can do, but just for this, we're just monitoring these sites. Okay. But rather than being a specific plot that's been put in specially for it, it's a commercial field, mm-hmm. and farmed as be- I think's best over the next twenty-five years, if I'm still there, and just monitoring the, those plots. And, and you think all kinds of things can come from it. So, so say you know we've just had some products banned, like metaldehyde and so on. You know, one of the next one could be glyphosate. So say in five years' time, glyph- glyphosate goes, and we have to change our farming system. Well, we'll have data going back five years before, five years after, to say, actually, since glyphosate's been banned, we're doing more cultivations, there's less earthworms, there's crops aren't as healthy, or vice versa. We don't know yeah, yeah, quite, yeah. vice versa. We'll have this long-term data. And as far as we know, it's incredibly rare, this type of monitoring. Yeah, There's some done at Rothamsted, but that's on a drilled plot, not on a commercial crop. So as far as we know, it's quite rare. Is there
1: similar sites in France, Germany, America... That you tap into. I mean, there must be there must be research sites, charitable research sites at, uh,
2: in other countries. Yeah, there is. So we're not very good at it, are we, in the UK? Because if you go to Europe, they, they don't speak English as well as we'd like. So, no, funny so, so, so it's difficult for us to to engage with these people. Obviously, we do, but it's, it tends to be difficult. And two years ago. I went to America to, to visit some research farms in America, but they're all associated with the universities, and the government gives money to the university to do research. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of government money delivered through the university. So that so that was very interesting. The other thing to mention as well is that they had the recommended list trial, and basically anyone could put a variety in that they thought was good, and you could have one bag of seed, and you could have Andrew variety number one and David variety number two all out the same bag, genetically identical, put it in the variety trial, and lo and behold, they did the same. And if they did well, you could sell them as two different varieties. Genetically, it was exactly the same. This is in America? In America. Where in the UK, not in a million years could you do that. So I think the way they're doing their research into varieties and so on is stifling their, their innovation. And there's not a royalty system, so there's not a lot of money in it for them developing new varieties.
1: But the study of the ground, you know, the, the, the 25 years you're, you're studying this 400 metres squared yeah. bit, are there projects like that going on? I mean, that actually is what we need to... Are there as many earthworms? Is there... You know, what is the situation after... You know, maybe, maybe we haven't got the answers now, but somewhere in 10 years' time, there'll be a very strong, proven point that if we don't use that agrochemical then these things occur which are bad or good. And everyone should stop all over the world because this is the net result, or everyone
2: should say, hang on a minute, let's review this. Quite. So the bit of research we're doing, as far as we believe, it's quite unique. Unique, we- yeah. But we, I can't guarantee that because the world's a big place. But obviously there's lots of work going on with soil and soil health mm. and long-term And and the universities in America are looking at that. Yeah, joined up thinking between countries on stuff
1: like that is critical, isn't it? I mean, we can sit and say this in our little Norfolk ivory tower, but the reality is everyone wants to be secret about their findings so they might get a commercial gain out of it, and humankind doesn't benefit as usual.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's also interesting... So you think you're working on a farm where there's research going on? You think we must be making a new discovery every week and it's amazing and everything's new? Well, yeah. That's well, th- well, it's not. No, but,
1: but everyone must think that you know. That's the other point that uh, I was going to make at the start of this. That, that you know, so so innovation occurs on Morley. Um, or well, what's happening then, David? Going, yeah. oh, I don't I know, But but. But,
2: it, but if you'd look at it over a perhaps a three five year period, then there is changes in what we do and the information coming through. But it takes a while it's not a discovery every week it's no and the other thing is you got where morley fits in is it's a gap between commercial farmers and research organizations yeah so if you imagine the uea and the john yeah. Innes center what the problem is is we've got a massive gap between the two so we've got the john Innes center doing blue sky yeah. research science Rothamsted, and so on and then you've got some farmers growing some crops and there's a massive gap in the middle the researchers i'm being rude now but the researchers don't engage with Practical farmers and practical farmers don't engage much with the researchers, no. and so there needs to be a place where the two come together, and we can demonstrate the research coming together with practical applications. Well, the, application. the, the practical application to m- m- make their theory trialled properly in a in a real situation. Yeah, yeah for yeah. then the farm to take it up and make it work. There's a massive gap, and that's the world over. And when I went to America, there was a massive gap there as well between the science and so, the, so, the farmers. So can that improve between Morley and, and John Innes? Is that, is that something that everyone's trying to aspire to? We're trying to, but it's just partly the cultures of the way research works and the way farmers work. It's very difficult to bring those two together. Mm. But Morley ought to be a place where that happens, and that's what we're trying to, to okay, do. OK, well, that's a great aspiration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What other projects have you got on the go at the moment? So we started a project this time last year called our Morley Clean Water Project. This is, again, an example of science and farming coming together. So what we're trying to do is make the water that leaves the farm be as clean as it can be, but without trying to spend too much money. So is there things farmers can do with their own labour, their own machinery, to try and make the water be cleaner in the ditches? Right,
3: so this is water that's that's coming washing off fields or when rain's hitting it, any leaching and things like that? Is yeah, that-
2: yeah. so rain coming out of the sky falls on the fields and obviously it goes through the soil into the ditches but also there's water that runs off the farmyards off tracks mm. and off the highways which is a bit beyond our control but nevertheless it's coming off highways but also coming from other properties with septic tanks and all kinds of places is the things we can do to try and clean the water and one example of that is where the farm is there's a small village 24 houses that run to a small sewage works and then the pipe comes out into our ditch and it is brown and it stinks, but then it goes through um, a little wetland so i don't know 100 meters by 20 meters wide but it's full of reeds and uh, nettles but what we're trying to do is slow the water down in there we've made it into three pools and we're going to plant some a range of plants in there plants that like love water and hopefully they'll absorb the nutrients and so we end up with clean water so you might say we're doing anglia water a favor by doing that but actually, they've been very helpful in giving us advice of how to do it and giving us some money to make the system work. And we're also working with the Norfolk Rivers Trust for giving yeah. us advice. So actually, it started off as it wasn't our problem. It was somebody else's house's dirty water. Not really our problem, but it's coming through our farm. And we've got the ability to be able to clean that water a bit. So let's do that.
3: That's very topical, isn't it? Because we have seen all this flooding now. That's right. And we've got people saying, look, you know the environment agency haven't desilted the river they haven't dredged it so the water's not moving as quickly and i guess for a project like this you could take the silt out it could settle and it's just the water going into a river or something
2: that's right and that's what we're trying to do is think of ways that we can capture this one prevent the silt getting into the ditch to start with that's the first thing that's the easiest thing but then once it's in there through the highway or a track where you can't avoid it have little sediment traps to catch the silt before it gets too far down the river. The rivers at the moment with the sewage is, we were touching on
1: this with uh, Lizzie Emmett a couple of weeks ago, You know, when when it rains as much as the sewage backs up, basically the rivers are absolutely full of raw sewage at the moment. That's right. Because they can't can't cope and it's just going straight out to sea and it is Mm. utterly gross. And, and the you know, all the water companies are kind of, they'll get a fine, but it's a lot cheaper than actually treating the sewage, isn't it? It's a nice opportunity to open the
2: sluice gates and off you go. And and some goes. But talking to Anglia Water, I know they've put a lot of time and money and effort and so does off what penalising them and chasing them and telling them what to do and the sewage works for Norwich are massive, and they've got strict targets to meet. But what happens is in rural areas where people have got septic tanks, there's less targets to meet and there's no targets to meet. And, you know, at home, if you say, um, oh, well, where are we going to go on holiday this year, dear? Should we go on a cruise? No, tell you what, we'll have a new septic tank. (laughs) Well, it doesn't happen, does it? (laughs) it You don't spend money on septic tanks unless you have to. Um, And I think the problem is there's lots of rural properties with... Out-of-date, inadequate seriously, systems. Absolutely, yeah. I actually put a new septic tank in a couple of years ago. And didn't go on a cruise? No, no
1: cruises. Might catch might catch the coronavirus <laughs> on a cruise. Okay, so
3: one area that I really wanted to talk to you about, David, flea beetle. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> go on then. Well, it, it's, it's a hot topic, isn't it? Morley, up to anything, looking at it, I imagine you are.
2: Yes, yeah, so now I've been doing various things, looking at ways to control it. Um, with little success i might add right. so using companion crops and something to try and attract the beetles away so what we did do this year they've set up a network of pan traps so they a little yellow bucket with water in and they could catch the flea beetle to give you an indication of where they are where the populations are the worst and so it was interesting this year so i planted my alyssum drape the week before the bank holiday in august but it was so dry and then it was so hot that <laughs> the alyssum drape didn't establish hardly at all right but the flea beetle numbers were quite low in the pan traps quite low quite low quite low and then all of a sudden towards the end of september when we did have some rain mm-hmm. it rained fantastic the oilseed rape grew but then the population of flea beetle came in right and we could see that straight away in the pan traps they were they were there and then the crop disappeared and i'm not growing real seed rape anymore yeah well that's the story across <laughs> the county i <laughs> yeah, think the, the country really yeah yeah
3: but any sort of future research on
2: well they're always looking at different ways to do it whether it's um some sort of varietal resistance to flea beetle right i don't know the Innes center are doing some work trying to understand more about flea beetle mm-hmm. as an insect and, and perhaps they've got some predators within the the wild populations that might keep the population the flea beetle population controlled yeah but it, it's not going to happen tomorrow it's a long-term project no sure yeah yeah well that makes sense right it's time i think to
1: start looking towards our beer if you remember we, we had a very kind gift from the great Newsome Brewery. We got that, our second beer from there, which is the... Um, and I'll, I'll get this really badly wrong with my pronunciation, so anyone from Yorkshire, I apologise. It's it's Prickyback Ochen, which obviously, as you all know, is, in fact, a golden ale whose name comes from the old Yorkshire description of a hedgehog. So it's nice to know those old Yorkshire guys have got uh, strange names for things. Do you want to do the pouring, Ben? Uh, yeah, hang on, let's just... I'll just get. I'll just open it. Hopefully, you're better at pouring than our friend. Who was that? Webby. <laughs> right. Here we go. Well, well, this is David. I'm afraid this is one of the downsides of doing our podcast. You have to have a beer on a Friday morning.
3: Fair enough. Yes. I mean, we have had some howler beers, but we've also had some real corkers. Yeah. But anyway, we'll. Um, yeah. Well, it looks nice. It, and it looks good, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.
2: Cheers.
3: Ooh. Yeah. No, I. That uh, that is a good one. So four point two percent. Oh no, that that's
1: drinkable. Yeah, I'd I'd, uh, I'd have a second pint of that. That's
2: we? very good, isn't it? Where, is there another box somewhere under the table? <laughs>
1: yeah, in my room.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, if our friends in Yorkshire are listening, do please send a free case of that, and uh,
1: we'll review it again. <laughs> Back to the farm, you know, it's, it's, just before we put the mics on, uh, Dave and I are having a little chat about what we are going to talk about. And he said, well, well we won't talk about the weather because it's boring. So perhaps we should fake that we've had fabulous, sunny, warm weather and we've just got, what should we, you know, <laughs> is it a bad time? It, it's February. <laughs>
2: it's it February. Feb- yeah, so what do we expect in February? Wet. Cold. Yeah, nothing going on. Nothing happening. Yeah, yeah just anxious to go and do something outside. So that's where we are, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what we've been doing. Yeah. We've been sitting in the warm drinking beer. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's life as a grain trader, as everybody knows.
3: Yeah, it's what happens every Friday. (laughs) All the grain traders sit around and have a beer. And Monday and Tuesday. Just coming back to Morley, David, I mean, future projects, things in the pipeline,
2: you know, what what would you like to see? What's happening? It's interesting. if If you asked me that question two or three years ago, you wouldn't have thought flea beetle would be such an issue. Mm. um the threat of losing glyphosate wouldn't be an issue but obviously now it is and to me we're losing plant protection products at an alarming rate and so like i'm talking about how mechanical weeding that sort of thing yeah i think that's the say it's a threat or a challenge well it is but it's also we've got to just live with it and adapt and, and work out a way of farming without some of these products
3: there seems to be an issue and i've touched on it you know with, with ian Ian webster but the level playing field of chemicals disappearing across Europe, it's not level. I mean, I think certainly in Poland they're still allowed to use various sprays on their all rape and it's coming into the country. Farmers in the UK aren't. I mean, yeah, this doesn't seem right.
2: No, it's not. And, uh, yeah, one thing is all-seed rape that's been, neonicotid seed treatments been used, um, is coming in. And also sugar grown from sugar beet that's had uh, seed treatments on it as well yeah but I know the NFU are working really hard to try and say to the government look if we're going to let food imports come in that's fine but they've got to be an equal standard to what we're allowed to use in this country yeah that's my pet rant there is no hope in hell of
1: the government backing the farmer on that Renette Batters has been brilliant she's so superbly praised quite rightly by everybody but this government is going to shaft you (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, thanks for that, yeah. Well, no, it, but, but I know the the NFU are working really hard to... Yeah, they that's are. That's their main are. sort of thing to put but it's on it's well But ones. it's the population, the uh, the will of the people, the
1: 30% that actually voted for Brexit of mm. the whole population are going to get what they want, which is they've got to have cheap food, they've got to do a deal with America, and the only way that old Donald's going to let us have a deal is with cheap chicken beef etc coming in which is completely not up to the same spec or the rules that we have to produce in this country and that is the issue
2: to me it is so one thing we can do is just slowly slowly try and inform people who buy food so everybody of the standards and what we do and why our products are better than others and it's not standing in the middle of Norwich having a rant it's just open farm sunday it's inviting people to the farm and talk about what they do and so on
1: extinction rebellion is having an impact however irritating they are because people are having to listen to them and they're blocking cambridge and doing all sorts of damage it's made the subject rise up the political table i think the moment of farmers the the silent or the gentle or the nudging that we're doing is fantastic but at some point in time I think there'll be some militancy coming from farm, Mm. but only when we've been undermined. So a year or two from now, I think we'll start being a bit more awkward. Yeah, yeah. You're already awkward, Andrew, so we're used to that. (laughs) With that very happy final thought, David, thank you very much for coming in. You're Uh, welcome. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dewin Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewingrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter we are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.